Welcome to Percussion Perspectives, a podcast by Henrik Knabor Larsen and Håkon Steinen. Each episode of Percussion Perspectives features one or more musical artists in conversation about musical education, practice and aesthetic and sociological perspectives. I'm Henrik Knabor Larsen and today I talk with the composer and percussionist Arnold Marinesen from the Netherlands. He has been a principal subject teacher at the Conservatorium van Amsterdam since 2008 and he was also artistic leader of the famous ensemble Slagwerk den Haag. He really enjoys the classical percussive works of Case etc. Uh, but at the same time he's exploring and composing new music for percussion. Today his compositions are broadly recognized and performed at festivals like Huddersfield Contemporary. I talk with him today about the perspective about being uh, both a composer and a percussionist. What motivates him and what is important when prioritizing your time. Welcome, Arnold Marinesen. I had the pleasure of meeting you soon, five years ago, I think, in Amsterdam. And uh, the thing that you are both percussionist but also composers and composers more and more as I have experienced, then uh, I think you would be perfect to talk to here in our podcast. Yeah, it's an so, honor and a pleasure. <laughs> so, first question, is there a connecting thread or leitmotif that runs throughout your practice? Yes, well, my practice started with, um, well, let's say 25 years of performing. Although, I must say, um, right at the start of my uh, professional activities, I did some composing. But I always put the results in the drawer and I thought, well, mm, not sure, not sure. And then I played music by uh, many, many, many composers, many other people. I was also involved in creation processes in a music theater setting where I would co-create music with other people for a specific purpose, for a specific context. Um, but so it was always somewhere on my mind. But then in the early 2000s, I started making little pieces um, that I would perform myself in in my own recitals. Mm. So that is really where the two threads came together. And then at some point, uh, someone asked me, would you like to, to write as a string trio? And then I thought, ah, okay, this is a serious question because that's something else than just making music for, for, uh, for a theater performance or just stuff that I perform myself in concert. This is a, like a commission. Yeah. And so then that was actually, so there was like a common thread, but at the same time, this moment was like a, like a dividing moment where I thought, okay, I'm now going to write pieces for the other people. And so, um, but it's not, I mean, it's not entirely separated because when you compose, you're also a performer because you're working on your uh, keyboard, on your piano, you're writing things down, you're improvising, you're structuring, you're, you're also involved with how it will be to perform this mm. material in concert. So there is this kind of imagination. So it's not a separate thing. It's not separate. But still, uh, yeah, uh, practically speaking, it's a different kind of job, right? I use your, your percussion when you are composing, using the instrument. Yeah, sometimes. There is uh, output which is uh, a soundtrack or which is percussion music. And in both cases, I would use my own instruments also. Uh, pre-record uh, things, try things out, etc. If it's well, if it's a string trio, uh, I will just work on uh, with a pencil and paper and or with with my MIDI keyboard, etc. But sometimes, yes. Mm. 
What do you think when you moved on from from percussion to composing? Was there something missing in in the works you have played until then, or did did you have any agenda for whenever you compose for percussion? Are are you uh, treading a new land, or is there anything you could say in in the process of 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 being a, a composer that also was a percussionist? Yeah, I notice when I write for percussion, and I think it's fair to say that the, the, the first five years or so, I didn't write for percussion at all. I wrote uh, a number of pieces for voices, vocal ensemble, vocal quintet, mixed ensemble with voice. Um, and it actually took me a while before I uh, took the hurdle of writing for percussion, not because I was afraid of doing so, but just because I was really keen on writing for other instruments. I had had so much exposure with percussion that I really felt like, well, I've always had a, a big affinity for uh, for the voice. I've always loved, well, I've done my tiny bit of singing and, uh, you know, as percussionist, you get to th- to do many things, but also I did some singing and, and I, I really loved it. And I'm, originally I'm a flute player, so um, an instrument involving breath is, is, is definitely something that is close to me. Uh, so, so that was very naturally there when I started composing. And, and so I just had, didn't have a, a big urge uh, right at the beginning to, to write for percussion. And I knew the repertoire so well, so well etc. But then actually pretty soon um, it, it, st- it just started happening. So I wrote a, a piece for marimba, totem, and, and then uh, more pieces came, peaceful vibraphone, and, and then uh, percussion duo, et cetera, et cetera. And so, and then I felt, of course, very comfortable because you know the instrument so well. It's like if you're Liszt or Chopin, you know, you know how your hands move <laughs> uh, along the piano keyboard. Yeah, it's, it's comfortable. It's really comfortable. And I still feel uh, very easy and comfortable writing for percussion, and I love it. I love writing pitches, so I've also got a, a, piano, a, a percussion trio, glockenspiel, vibraphone, marimba, and that's pitch material. And I love writing uh, pitches. Mm. So, uh, and I've also written stuff with, which, which are more about uh, sound making, timbre, and I love that too. But I'm also completely happy writing for the marimba. It's just your your, your grammatic set of bars, but I'm very happy writing for that. So. Um, and, and I've done, of course, so much looking for timbres and creating special sounds as, as a player. And it's also close to me. I also enjoy that. But I'm equally happy writing for mallet instruments. And that was a bit of a surprise for me because that was never really... I loved the vibraphone especially, but that was never... I wouldn't... I had not expected to be so fond of writing for the marimba, <laughs> I must say. But that's funny because uh, talking to a lot of composers, it seems like the marimba is always a kind of weird area to compose for and many has a kind of aversion against it or they really don't know exactly what to do with the instrument. 
So it's funny that you had the same expectation and then it it changed. So what what particularly do you like when when writing for for mallets? Well, this piece it's called Fleeting for a Glockenspiel, Vibraphone, and Marimba. I like trios because uh, it's so the, the three players are so equal. Mm. Yeah, there's no subgroup. It's not the first and the second violin and then the viola and then the cello, but you're just really equal musical partners. I like that. It's opposite to real life where a trio can always be become troubles. But I think you're right. That's true. Yeah. Perfect size of a chamber ensemble somehow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, and I love the glockenspiel. It's an undervalued instrument, I think. It's a lovely instrument. I mean, uh, someone like Morten Feldman has ex- actually has explored this combination of glockenspiel, vibraphone, and marimba in for Philip Guston, this big trio piece, which it's actually a trio piece, but then flute, piano, percussion. But inside the percussion setup, there is this trio. There is the, the there is. Uh, vibraphone, glockenspiel, and marimba. So I love this combination. I love the three instruments. So that, so, so for that reason, I really liked writing for this set of, of, uh, of mallet instruments, but uh, also the marimba on its own. I mean, it's not, it's, you can't, you cannot do the same thing as on a piano, clearly. Mm. Yeah. There are many things you cannot do. So you really have to work out what you can do. Your harmonies are going to be less rich. There's no pedal. There's lots of attack, but hardly any resonance. And I mean, it's, it's a different instrument, but well, I've actually never really reflected on why I find it appealing to write for it, but I do. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it has to do with the fact that I've, that I'm a percussionist and I've played the marimba so often that I know how it feels to play it. And I know the kind of movements I like to make on the marimba. I know the the marimba pieces that I really love. So there's this frame of reference, I guess, that that makes a difference for me. Yeah, that makes sense. Can you mention some of your most significant influences, musically, personally, or or otherwise? Yeah, that's going to be a a, a funny list. And, and and I it's very hard to uh, decide on an order. There is none. But okay, let's go. Uh, so there's definitely John Cage on the list. Mm. So the way he uh, philosophically uh, looks at musicianship, the role of music in society, the uh, the, the the functionality of of, of of a musician within a group. And actually, um, how music works, all those things. Uh, I've, I've experienced him when I was still in Conservatoire in my third year, I think. He was uh, at the Conservatoire for two months. And I met him later uh, also when we played with Ives Ensemble in Italy. Uh, we worked with him. And, and so I've had this exposure. And it has been just um, mind-opening and, um, and also life-changing for me, musical life. Uh, has been a big influence, I, I, I must say. Equally, uh, the music uh, by Steve Reich, I really love. Mm. Uh, it's in my vein also. And I love the rich and complex harmony. I don't think I would need to explain why uh, why Steve Reich is appealing to a percussionist. I love the rhythm, but I also love his way of, of dealing with harmony. Mm-hmm. I like the way he structures his works. Uh, there's so much uh, that I love about um, uh, Reich's music, uh, but uh, talking about rich harmony, rich complex but very appealing harmony, I also would need to mention Olivier Messiaen, mm. 
Of course, yeah. So, so that's a bit of a wide range of uh, of influences, and there are many more. I'm, I, I've got one foot in uh, for myself in, in performance art, like the Fluxus movements, but also uh, Kutschwitter's Uzonata is very dear to me. Uh, but let's say performance art from the 1960s, yeah, Nam June Paik. Uh, there are there's something very appealing in that uh, period uh, for me. Did you have experiences, uh, direct experiences with the Fluxus uh, art? Yes, funny enough, uh, just before we spoke, uh, I was on the phone uh, together with my wife, uh, Katharina Gross, cellist. We were on the phone with uh, Gerhard Stäbler and Kunzu Schim. They are a, um, like a performance art composer duo from Germany, and we work with them uh, quite regularly. And we recorded two of their pieces last week, and we had sent them the recordings, and we, we were talking on the phone just now. And, um, and so we work with them quite often and they are really, they do very beautiful, beautiful things really in the tradition of Fluxus mm. performance art, but it's like, like an, like, like a further development of it, but it's, their roots are really in performance art. So yes, I've done a lot of that. Um, and I always find that completely liberating. It's, um, it's such a pleasant place to be in. It's interdisciplinary. It is. Uh, it is uh, many things that I like. Uh, so, so yes, the, I've, act I've I've got a lot of ac activity in in that field I ha and have had in the past. Um, yeah, is that enough of influences, or uh, because there are more, there are so many influences. <laughs> If we could talk all night, pro probably about that. Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting to see what 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 people mention as the as the. Main influences and and also to I, I, you didn't mention any percussionist, for instance. <laughs> and of no, course, no, maybe define yourself as a composer as it is now, or or could you could you talk a few years ago and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of course. Uh, I mean, yes. Uh, when I was uh, in music school as a teenager, I, I started playing the flute when I was, I think, nine, and then when I was. 2012 or 13, I started a band with my brother and two school friends and I was on drums and I loved it. And then when I was 16, I think um, I went to the music school, the percussion teacher in music school. And I said, you know, I want to go to conservatoire, but not for the flute, but for perc percussion. Do you think that's possible? So I had a, a test lesson with him and I said, okay, let's, let's get going. We see, we'll, we'll, let's see where, where things uh, end up. And, uh, and this was a fantastic teacher. And he um, actually also had a percussion ensemble and we would play school concerts with the percussion ensemble. So I was in school, but we also played school concerts. Mm. And, uh, and we, we played Lou Harrison, John Cage, Henry Cowell. And I was, was completely in love with this, this music. Mm. And so then I went to Conservatoire and I discovered that those pieces that we were playing, like Double Music by Harrison and Cage, and first, second and third construction, uh, well, actually, we didn't do the third construction in, in, in uh, music school yet, but we did the first and second. And I discovered that this was core repertoire, core percussion ensemble repertoire, and I completely loved it. And then right after graduation, I became artistic uh, director of, uh, of percussion group The Hague and, and player. And we continued this. We played the Harrisons and the Cages and the Grises and everything, but also those pieces that I 
got to know when I was a teenager, and I completely loved it. So, um, uh, so the, the percussion ensemble repertoire I've, I've always loved a lot, and I still sometimes uh, play it um, with um, with a good percussion friend of mine in, um, in, in, in Hanover, in Germany, Stefan Meyer. Okay. We've got a group and we will play the Grises or whatever. Solo percussionists, I mean, we all know the solo percussionists who are active in the field and, and we all know how, how interesting and how active and how special they, they are and, and, and the, the pieces they commission. And I'm, I'm very fond of that too. But I think for me, this background in percussion ensemble is, is very strong. That's something that really shaped me, I think. How, how much did you write for percussion? What, what, what pieces and... Yeah, I've yeah I've written totem uh, for marimba that is now extended to four movements, so it's totem one two three and four, and I've written a percussion quartet parts. So it's a piece for either marimba alone or marimba with percussion quartet. Hmm. And then I've written uh, a piece for vibraphone solo, uh, four gardens. I've written uh, this piece for glockenspiel vibraphone marimba, which is called fleeting. I've written. I've written a percussion duo, Angle of Attack. That is the moment when an airplane lifts off. That's called the Angle of Attack. Yeah, so it, does, it doesn't have, it, it sounds like it has to do with fighting, but it doesn't. It's uh, fighting the air. I've written a piece for uh, five snare drums. And I've written a percussion sextet, Iron Velvet. So I've actually written one, two, three, four, five, and six. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, what motivates you and drives your practice forward? Um, I think that's a good question in these times, probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, a couple of things. Uh, commissions. So if someone, and that sounds like a very dry and matter-of-fact uh, statement, but it's not. If someone asks you to write something, that's it always makes me very happy. And, uh, and, I, uh, and if I know this person, which is not always true, but is often true, then you know... Uh, the group or the player of the players, you know them or him or her, and and it it, it makes it special. Uh, oh, and I wrote actually a piece for a penguins percussion trio from from Norway. That's also a percussion trio, actually. Yeah. And then uh, showed that the trio was were your favorite since you. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so so the fact that someone asks you, would you like to write a piece, that triggers immediately triggers for me. Uh, uh, a response in, 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 in imagining what kind of piece it could be. And I always, almost always, immediately start sketching things and um, or, or looking for texts or whatever, uh, starting to conceptualize the thing. That, that's always a trigger. Attending concerts, listening to music, uh, definitely. I mean, for me, making music and listening to music, attending concerts, being involved in performances, it's all linked together. So once again, that's this common thread, right? Uh, it's it's all linked together. I, I guess I would not have started composing if I had never been a performer. I think it's fair to say that. Mm, yeah. For me, it's just linked. It's it's linked. So that always it, it I, I, it's so often that I that I'm in a concert and I'm listening to the concert, but at the same time I'm thinking about the piece that I would like to, like to write now <laughs> because it triggers things. Yeah. 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 And that makes actually a good uh, lead to the to the next question, which is about the connection between private and professional listening. So, do you listen to the music that you compose, or do you play or compose the music you listen to? 
and how important is this connection or not uh, the connection? Yeah, I mean, I, I think when I compose, I never concretely think about a specific piece that I have heard. Also, although, as I say, something might trigger something else off. But but even when I conceptualize a piece and I start writing, it's always going somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It never goes straight ahead, never. But of course, there are links because everything feeds you and everything uh, has has had its influence on your musicianship and your comp compositorship. So definitely, it it it's completely interrelated, but not in a concrete way. Never, mm, yeah. never. I think a piece writes itself to a certain degree, whatever the commission is whatever the plan is you start working and then and then it goes and sometimes but very rarely it stops and you have to reconsider but most of the time it just goes yeah yeah, yeah. do you have a special uh, time for work or is it just whenever you feel ready for it or how do you structure a day when you're working as a composer hmm well i don't have the luxury that i Generally, I don't have the luxury except in holidays, and I'm very productive in holidays. That's simply true. Summer holidays, but also Christmas holidays. Those are the moments when I uh, can really work without much uh, disturbance, etc. And I love that. But but uh, during the year, uh, I, I just need to, um, to to bring my hours together uh, and uh, com combine it with with other activities. And I, I'm completely fine with that. But that means that, uh, you know, uh, that uh, Philip Glass once made the uh, arrangement with himself that he would compose every morning between, I, th I think, between 10 and 1, between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. And, and he did that or does that every day. And I th it's a luxury and it's, of course, also a great discipline. It's not I'm not in a position to do that because my calendar is too too varied for that, too flexible for that. So I just need to catch my hours, but I'm okay with it. And um, and and it just simply helps to to know when the piece has to be ready. You know, a deadline is helpful because it's just, it's not only because you have to work hard in order to catch the deadline, but also you just structure your workflow. And I need that for everything I do. Uh, and I guess most of us do. And I'm comfortable with that. So, so I don't have a, a fixed planning, and it's not like a specific time of the day is best. Not really. No. Hmm. Hmm. Are there anything that you regret? Hmm. In life. In general, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, many things, uh, many smaller and bigger things uh, that I regret or that that. I would do differently if I had a second chance. But uh, regarding my professional path, I'm very happy with everything that I've done and that has come my way. And I've been sometimes quite selective, especially more recently in, in prioritizing for myself the kind of things, the, the things that I want to focus on. And that I, yeah, actually back to your previous question to make sure that you've got enough time for the things that you really want to do. And because there's the risk, if you're actually quite happy doing a variety of things that, uh, yeah, that accumulates <laughs> to a point where you sometimes feel, well, um, and that is something that, uh, so time management, 
no, time management is not a problem because I actually, when I've got a duty, <laughs> I will fulfill it, right? But prioritizing, uh, there's some people prioritize when they're 17. You know, they know this is the road. There we go. Okay. And I'm a bit different. I'm a bit different. I guess if you were 17, you wouldn't predict what you have done, right? No, but no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But looking back, there was a logic, right? As I say, finding out when you're in conservatoire that actually the pieces you played as a teenager are exactly the pieces that matter and then ending up in percussion group The Hague and playing the percussion ensemble repertoire and now writing pieces for one to six uh, percussionists and for many other instrumentations. There is a clear line for me and sharing this love for the repertoire with students uh, as you do. So there is there's a bandwidth, but there is also uh, yeah for me some some clarity and also some continuity despite some um, some roads that you decide to cut off at, at a specific point. I think we as percussionists, we, we are interested in many different areas and we tend to spread out a lot. Also, just during the studies for the, for the students, they have to learn so many different things that that's, at some point there needs to be a strategy for what to do and what not to do. And probably you have just done it in a natural way. It seems like you are very in harmony what you have done and you have a clear idea about the line. So, But, but I think it's, a, it's an interesting uh, question. It's a very interesting question. It's a question that I'm sure you do uh, when you discuss, uh, when you talk with your students about their plans, whether for the next exam or for their career after. It's something that you talk about a lot with people, uh, with colleagues, uh, with students. And I think it's important. So for some of us, the way is indeed to go to some degree with what happens, with the opportunities that you get. And, and some people feel really good just making sure that they develop a master plan and, and, and stick to that. It's also a per personality question. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Uh, there was an American businessman who said that whenever you have plans and you have things you want to, to succeed in or that you want to have your focus in, you should write down uh, all the things that are important to you. And then you should choose the five most important And that's you should really go for, but the twenty-five uh, top twenty-five, then the twenty next after the five important ones are actually extremely dangerous because that's where your where your focus will go first, away from the five that are most important for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes complete sense. Absolutely, yeah. But you know those other things like I've done curating. Yeah, I've I've I've, I've curated one season for Musikgebouw and at I between two directors. And I've done, I've, I've curated some festivals, but also this experience also feeds back into your own workflow. So it's not time wasted, 
not at all. And I think also, I think we've all, for me, sharing some of your acquired knowledge with people uh, in the form of teaching or in the form of sharing programs, creating programs or writing texts for people, writing program notes. It's also sharing some of the stuff that you have uh, acquired. Mm. And I think this, this sharing is also important for me. Composing is also sharing, but 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 there are many ways to to share the things that have come to you, and you hand them back to yeah, yeah. In whichever direction. Yeah, uh, once a year with my wife, we do um, we do a one day course for music amateurs, and we work on specific repertoire. Uh, most of the time, flexible instrumentation repertoire, and 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 yeah, it could be it it could go from uh, from Terry Riley's in C to whatever. But I mean, this is also something that I mean, we are in, a, in, in an environment of professionals, but but stepping outside of this world of professionals sometimes and working with uh, people who also love music but have a different kind of um, um, yeah position in that uh, world, I also love, and I think it's important. And it also it once again it's it it's it feeds back to me also. Yeah. So I'm, I'm so I think my so my top my list of uh, top five priorities is probably closer to ten. <laughs> but it's you're absolutely right. You have to make sure that the top five is not endangered. Absolutely. But, but I think you're right. You can easily see connections, and when you when you share, you're also getting more. Clear about what you're actually thinking, and your own road of thoughts might might get the uh, direction that you need for it. So it it makes absolutely sense for me too the way the way you think it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. As you made once this uh, list of uh, most important percussion solo setup works, so you've done a lot of things in the, also talking about sharing. Yeah. I've got this ever-growing list. Well, the list is still there, and it has certainly expanded in the past five years, and I can send you the updated version. Oh, yes, that would be lovely. Yeah. Last week, I was still talking with uh, with a student uh, looking at the next setup piece to work on, and he is from Spain, and he uh, said to me, ah, my previous uh, teacher in Spain handed me this piece, and then I thought, ah, I remember it. Because uh, Josep Vicent played it, actually premiered it, but I had completely forgotten about it. So I immediately added it to the list and this keeps happening. And also last week, a student coming back from uh, China handed me a score of a Chinese setup piece that is brand new. So also that was added to the list and it looks pretty nice, actually. So this list is growing and has been growing uh, and something that we always do uh, a couple of times a year at the conservatoire is uh, just do a session of uh, listening to a repertoire uh, either chamber, chamber music percussion ensemble but definitely always uh, set up repertoire also mm. uh, because yeah knowledge of the repertoire involvement in, in in developing the repertoire i think is key Yeah, and there is of course this uh, this this wonderful, relatively new piece by uh, Rebecca Saunders, Dust, that was uh, uh, written for uh, Dirk Rotbrust and Christian Dierstein. So there is also a recent repertoire that is really worth adding to the list. So, by uh, yeah, I don't know how the situation is for you and your class and your students, uh, where the focus is at the moment. But uh, it's still true that uh, setup repertoire is labor intensive. Yes. And I've always loved that. Uh, 
making your setup, uh, bringing the stuff together, uh, being in this circle of, uh, of instruments. I've always loved it, but it's labor intensive. Uh, so it's a bit of a, it used to be the norm, but I think uh, the position of setup repertoire has changed a bit over time. It, it of course it depends on the focus of the of the musicians. I think I have a student right now who is very keen on on developing new ideas and working with composers and and in that respect it it makes so much sense to have a lot of focus on setup pieces. Um, but of course, if your main focus is on orchestral percussion and you have all those instruments to keep in in best possible shape, of course it's a lot of time to devote also for for the large setup pieces. Yeah, yeah, but also if your focus is on uh, on, on ensemble, mixed ensemble, uh, that is also uh, uh, that's 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 fantastic. And there's actually quite a number of uh, of students also in Amsterdam who really like that. But uh, that is also less labor inten intensive. You can spread your uh, your workload a bit. That was a tradition in Denmark in the eighties and nineties from the composer side that. Uh, that the percussion parts should be really, really work intensive and uh, taking a, a lot of the the. I think it, they just loved the 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 sounds and the ideas and and there was some examples with one percussion is to develop this trend that there's one percussion part but then it's just hitting in all directions at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah. Yeah, of course it depends. I think the 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 new trend is really most of the parts I get in the sinfonietta is actually fairly easy to play now. Mm -hmm. so somehow it it has maybe changed a little bit how the composers look at the percussionist role or that's definitely true yeah uh, yes uh, so, so anyway the whole um, the whole approach new music ensemble world is 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 in flux I think that includes um, thinking about instrumentation yeah but this list I will make sure to send the updated version to you and please uh, we'll share it through the through yeah. The that would make yeah sense. sure yeah. Very, uh, good good work you have done there to gather together from all the countries which is what you often need you find the the, the well-known masterpieces but if you dive more deep there will be a lot of uh, diamonds hidden around in the world i'm actually um, doing a master elective mm -hmm. uh, for all departments where we look at um, uh, technological strategies in uh, performing and composing. So we evaluate repertoire from the past, well, 70 years, but we also do hands-on sessions where we create stuff according to specific strategies. So it can be using field recordings or uh, multi-tracking uh, and, and editing, or it can be, it, it can involve live electronics, etc. So, uh, and so this course is followed by, well, anyone, any student who would like to look into this, not necessarily being already experienced in working with, uh, with electronics. Yeah. 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 That's funny. We have about the same elective. It's a little more specified. Uh, we call it, uh, the English word would be rhythm in a cross, uh, aesthetic perspective, uh, mm -hmm. So we work uh, right now. I'm teaching, and, and a colleague who is m making electronic music is making techno music and things like that. So we explore the the, um, the sharing of of electronic approach and the acoustic approach. So, for instance, when you when you design sounds as as an electronic musician, you have a lot of focus to create some kind of organic flow in what you're doing. 
And for that, they use all kind of uh, small changes of possibilities so that rhythm is not totally straight and all this that we would make uh, <laughs> by default. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> so, sure. but, but it's very inspiring to see what they can do with that and they get some rhythms out that would be impossible to invent as a, as a human. Yeah. But then you can actually try to imitate that. And, and I think when you listen to the, the development in music the last 10 years, you can really hear that this machine learning, so to speak, has, has also developed how we play as humans. Absolutely, yes. Okay, well, that's a very interesting uh, topic here. A yeah. very interesting box to open, but I guess that's outside the frame for, uh, for today. It was really a pleasure to talk to you again, Arnold. And um, I, I'm sure many of the perspectives you shared here would be interesting for percussionists and composers as well. You've always walked on the on the line of crossing from each side, which is really, really interesting. Yeah. So thanks a lot for sure. participating. Yeah, Hendrik, thanks for all the great questions and um, uh, say hi to Hakon. I will. Mm -hmm.